KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. President Joe Biden has put forth a couple of bold pieces of legislation over the last several weeks. An infrastructure bill, the American Jobs Act, and then the American Families Act. Now, there's lots of talk about what's in the bills, what they would do, but not as much as how they would be paid for. And these bills would change the tax system a lot and much more than just making rates higher for the wealthy and for corporations. We wanted to learn more about what these proposed tax changes could do and look like, so we caught up with Andy Weiner. He is the director director of the Graduate Tax Program and a practice professor of law at Temple University's Beasley School of Law. Give a listen. So when we look at the two proposals, the most recent big legislative proposals put forth by the Biden administration, the American Jobs Plan and the American Families Plan, we can talk a lot about what they want to do, but what's really interesting for our discussion, they're, they want to make a lot of changes to the tax code and to taxes to try to make these things happen. How big is this, This what, they're try- what they'd like to do? As a general matter, we're talking about really big numbers. Between the two plans that you just mentioned, which are, everything is just happening so quickly, but the two plans you just mentioned, we're talking about $4 trillion of spending. And basically, the two different areas, the American Jobs Plan is an infrastructure bill. And that is in excess of $2 trillion. That includes traditional infrastructure spending, bridges and roads and, you know, water supply and sewer and broadband and some non-traditional things. The human capital side of it, elder care is part of it, four-year community college, universal pre-K. These are all things that are in the, the American Jobs Plan. And so from the spending side, from the tax side, also huge. We're talking about some pretty fundamental changes in terms of the structure of our tax system. And as well, we're talking about not only designed to generate revenue to pay for the initiatives that the administration is proposing, but really to raise revenue such that we are putting ourselves on a slightly different footing in terms of how much revenue the federal government's going to take in and be able to spend for future initiatives and have the government be more proactive in terms of enacting policies that are directed towards the low and the middle class and the safety net. So this goes way beyond just raising corporate tax rates. We're talking structural, how things are done changes. Yeah, I mean, we're talking, so there are two different types of tax proposals at issue. The the American Jobs Plan, which is the infrastructure bill, is being paid for almost exclusively by changes to the corporate tax system. The American Families Plan, which is the, the one I haven't even touched on that, and those are programs that are really designed to make an investment in middle American, lower middle class taxpayers, things like education, things like caregiving. That's about, that's almost $2 trillion worth of spending there as well. And that's being paid for predominantly by increasing taxes on the wealthy. That's going to also include some fundamental changes to how we approach that. The big ticket item is basically, we have a significant discrepancy in this country in terms of how we tax wealth, income that's generated from wealth, and how we tax income that's generated from labor. What the Biden administration is really proposing to do on the, on the individual side 
is to create some parity between those two ways of taxing. That would significantly change how the wealthier taxed in this country. How much of this overall is brand new ground and how much of it is basically reversing or cutting into the tax cuts we saw during the Donald Trump administration? I think it was 2017, their big, the big tax cut bill. So on the individual side, mostly new stuff other than the rates. I mean, a lot of things I think that what you see in the press is that, you know, rates are easy, right? Everybody can understand a rate. And so that gets a lot of attention in that, oh, the Biden administration is just taking the rates back up to what they were before the TCJA, which is the Trump administration's big tax overhaul. So you have the rate right now, I think it's 36.4 percent. And the, that's the maximum rate for the individual taxpayer. And that's going to go back up to what it was before, which would be, I think, 39.6%. On the corporate side, you also have a rate resetting. It went from in the TCJA, this is, again, the Trump administration tax overhaul. It went from 35% corporate tax rate all the way down to 21%. And the Biden administration is proposing to take it back up to 28%. So the rates, yes, those are somewhat of a course correction in terms of the TCJA. But the real, the real meat of both of these overhauls are things that are, are very much new and not so much as just repealing what the Trump administration did, but taking the code into an, a basically a new direction, creating new, enacting new priorities and new mechanisms to get there. So dig into it a little bit for me. What are some of the things, I don't know if exciting is the word you use when you're talking tax policy, but what are some of the things that really stand out to you as this would really be significant and you'd be kind of fascinated to see how it works in, re in real life. Oh, yeah. So this is exciting. In my world, it's super exciting. I think it's really exciting to everybody. It's just not accessible. And so let me give you a sense of, of what it is, because I think it can get really complicated, particularly on the corporate side. So let me start with the individual side. In addition to going back up to a top rate of 39.6%, the two huge things that are going to happen that Biden administration is proposing is one, as I mentioned, treat income from wealth the same as you treat income from labor. So what does that mean? It would mean we have what's called a capital gains rate in this country. So when you sell stock, if you've held that stock for more than one year, you're going to get taxed at a special rate. It's not going to be your ordinary income rate, which is how you are taxed on your wages. That stock sale, the gain on the stock is going to be taxed at a lower rate. That right now is a maximum of 20%. You pay about half as much in tax on investments than you do on your wages. The Biden administration is proposing for people who make more than a million dollars to eliminate capital gains rates. So they will be taxed on their investments the same way as they're taxed on wages. So they'll pay 39.6% on their investment income. The other big thing that they're doing that's kind of linked, one of the things that's so fascinating about this stuff, it, it makes it so complicated. It's all these provisions, all these proposals are very intimately intertwined. And I'll give you an example. So the other thing that they're doing is the Biden administration is proposing that at death, right now, 
you get what's called a step up in basis. So all your investments, you have your basis is basically the, your, your investment in, in the stock or whatever it is that you purchase. And when you sell it, you take the cost and you subtract the basis and that's your gain. So you only have to pay tax when you sell Amazon stock for whatever it is, $3,200, but you bought that stock for $1,000, you don't have to pay $3,200 taxes if you got $3,200. You only pay taxes if you got $3,200 minus your investment, which is the 1000 So you only pay tax on the $2,200. That's your gain. When you die right now, and this, is always, this has been part of the code since 1913, when you die, you get what's called a step up in basis. So you die and that share of Amazon stock that you own, that you bought for a thousand bucks and is now worth 3,200. Your heirs get to inherit that stock and they have a basis in that stock of $3,200. The built-in gain is what they call that. That's the gain, that's the amount of gain that you haven't triggered because you haven't sold that stock. That built-in gain is eliminated when the taxpayer dies. So that means tax is never collected on that investment. And what the Biden administration is proposing is, yeah, you can still get a step up in basis when you die, but you have to pay tax on all the gains. You basically treat death as a recognition event. And so that triggers all the gains in your portfolio. If that taxpayer dies with a share of Amazon stock that they bought for $1,000, then the estate is going to have to pay tax on the $2,200 worth of gain. And that's a huge huge thing because one of the ways, one of the primary ways that wealthy people plan their estates is to hold on to assets until they pass. And then their heirs get to take those assets without paying any taxes on the gains that have been achieved throughout one's entire life. So holding on to assets is a real big advantage because you know you get the step up in basis when you die. The Biden administration is basically saying, okay, we're not going to tax you on the first million dollars of gains that you have when you pass, but anything above a million dollars, we are going to tax it. So you get the first million for free, but anything above that is going to get taxed. That's going to create a significant amount of tax liability that's going to fall on wealthy tax. And the reason why they're linked to just show you how those two ideas are connected if you're going to tax the wealthy on, on their gains at ordinary income rates, the fear is what's called the lock-in effect. If you're going to say, okay, you're going to owe 39.6% on the gains when you sell stock, what are people going to do? They're not going to sell the stock. They're going to hold on to it. And one of the reasons why they would hold on to it is because they know they can eliminate that 40% tax if they die. And then their heirs get it and they don't have to pay any tax. That 40% tax has gone away. So if you eliminate the free step up in basis when you die, suddenly that lock-in effect kind of goes away because now the shareholder has no way to avoid the tax. They might as well just sell it. So that minimizes the lock-in effect. So you kind of need to have both things. If you're going to tax capital gains at ordinary rates, then you can't let taxpayers get a free step up in basis when they die, or else they'll just probably hold on to their investment. You know, that, the, on the individual side, that's those are two really big changes to the tax. And you mentioned everything being linked. I would imagine another thing that would, if this were to become law, it makes it tougher to pull out down the road if everything 
kind of works together, no? Oh, you mean in terms of if once this gets enacted? Assuming this gets enacted and in our polarized world, another administration comes in and tries to undo the fact that you talked about how things are, are linked and kind of work in concert would make it harder, I would imagine, to pull out? Yeah, I think it would be a little bit harder. Or at least it, it makes it more difficult to to just address one discrete thing without you have to always think kind of holistically about about these issues. I will say this, as much as I kind of am in favor, I'll be honest with you, I'm somewhat in favor of a lot of the things that the Biden administration are thinking about. But at the same time is that I don't think it's great that every time, and this seems to be a reoccurring thing, every time you got a new administration come in and they think about a massive tax over and they think about reconciliation, which means that you don't need the 60 votes in the Senate and you don't have to overcome the filibuster. You only need 50 votes. And so you can do it on a bare majority, which a lot of new administrations have because of the coattails of a presidential election. And so you get this whiplash effect for everybody in the economy, you know, whether it be individual taxpayers, wealthy, because wealthy spend, you know, they spend a lot of resources to do estate planning and to think about how to structure their affairs in tax efficient ways. And corporations do that. And then some. in every four or eight years, you got this new tax overhaul. That's not good. I hope we can eventually kind of get away from this. So you talked about the individual stuff. What are some of the corporate things that really jump out? As I mentioned, corporate, you know, the, the one I think that's initially attention grabbing is the rate increase from 21 to 28 percent. What's really and here again, I'm going to draw a connection. The what what the meat of what the Biden administration is thinking about is you can't really think about just domestic rates because particularly particularly for corporate taxpayers, operations they're generating revenues globally, and so you have to think about how international and the domestic together. Because one of the biggest issues right now that's going on on the corporate side is something called profit shifting. And profit shifting is basically, it's very easy to move intangible assets from one jurisdiction to another jurisdiction. Intangible assets are the recipe for Coca-Cola, pharmaceutical designs, Facebook, Google. They all are driven by intangible assets, intellectual property. And intellectual, when you're talking about an intangible asset, I mean, tangible assets, you know, if you're in the mining business and you're mining copper in Mongolia, then you know you're going to be operating in Mongolia. But with intangible assets, you can put those intangible assets anywhere you want. So where are you going to put them? You're going to put them in places that have zero tax. The Cayman Islands has zero corporate income tax, as does the Isle of Gurney and all these other places that you may not have ever heard of, Luxembourg. These places, so what you do is you put your intangible, you put your intellectual property in those tax haven jurisdictions. And then what you do is you lease them to your actual operations. So you lease them to a company in Ireland that conducts your operations in Europe. You lease them to the United States that does your operations in the United States. And then you have all these payments flowing to these lease payments for the use of the intellectual property flowing to the Cayman Islands, and that is taxed zero. That's a major problem, not just for the United States. That's a major problem for the world. 
And everybody's trying to figure out how to deal with this. This is what we're thinking about and the Biden administration is thinking about deeply in the corporate tax overhaul. And it's what the world is thinking about through something called the OECD, which is uh, right now has got 139 member states participating, trying to think about how to address this profit shifting problem where you just want to direct as much profit as you can to low tax or no tax jurisdictions. What the Biden administration on the corporate side is doing is they have, I I heard a speech yesterday from the the deputy secretary of tax policy, Kim Clausing, and she said that the Biden administration aims to eliminate profit shifting problem, which which is no small feat. And they're doing it through a number of different sort of a number of different ways that some of which is an adjustment from things that were enacted to the T uh, by the TCJA. And some of it is just scrapping the TCJA provisions and starting over to try to give you a sense of what the Biden administration is proposing. I think it'd probably be useful to, to just give you a two minute primer on what the TCJA does. Okay. So 2017, Trump administration comes in and enacts a corporate overhaul that's really designed to stimulate the economy. That's what they wanted to do. Some of it is classic supply side stuff. Just lower the tax rate, which would give corporations a lot more cash if they would be able to invest in in more plants and workers and stuff like that. On the international level, they were trying to address it's a significant issue that I think both sides of the aisle would, would say was a significant issue. Before the TCJA, well, we had something called, we had a worldwide tax system. So we would tax corporations on their worldwide income only when they repatriated that income back to the United States. Like Apple earns income in China, it's taxed in China, and then it gets taxed with credit towards how much tax they paid in China, but then it gets taxed in the United States when Apple repatriates that income. That was the system before TCJA. And what did all these companies do that were generating significant income internationally? They never brought it back. They would just park it overseas. And so they would be able to defer the tax you know, for many years, potentially forever, because what they would do is they would park the income that they'd be earning overseas They wouldn't have to pay the tax because it wouldn't be repatriated when it comes back to the United States. They would make investments overseas. And that wasn't good for the United U.S. economy because you've got these massive holdings of income that would stay offshore and that would encourage U.S. companies to invest offshore, not back in the United States. This was a significant problem to the tune of, I think Apple at one point had $250 billion dollars in income that was earned overseas that they were not bringing back because they didn't want to pay 35% tax on. So what the Trump administration really wanted to do was to create not a worldwide tax system, but a territorial tax system. Only tax income in the United States that would be basically earned in the United States. The problem is, is that not even the Trump administration could, could follow that to its logical conclusion because of what I was talking about before with profit shifting. What Apple would immediately do is it would, you know, park park its intellectual property in the Caymans and it would 
recognized most of its income in the Cayman Islands and, and only its direct sales to consumers would be taxed in the United States, which would mean they would be able to effectively create this artificially low tax rate that wouldn't really reflect the amount of income that they were earning. So what the Trump administration did is it imposed a tax on a tax called guilty. Tax is full of these interesting interesting names for things. And guilty stands for global, intangible, low tax income. What it means is it's basically a minimum tax on income generated by your intellectual property. The Trump administration said, okay, so long as you're paying at least the guilty tax is a minimum tax that's 10.5% effectively on income from intangible property. So long as you're paying foreign tax, at least 10.5% taxes in other or jurisdictions, then the United States won't tax your income abroad. But if you're paying less than 10.5% on your intellectual property, then this guilty rate kicks in and it imposes a a minimum 10.5% tax on your income from intellectual property. So now we've gone from a worldwide taxing system to a quasi-jurisdictional system. And so that's what the TCJA did, is it imposed this minimum tax internationally only on income from intangible assets. Another thing that it did is it created this incentive to keep your intangible assets in the United States and to export from the United States as opposed to using shell companies, using subsidiaries that you would situate around the world. And in order to make sure that the United that the US companies were competitive in doing that, the Trump administration created what's called FIDI, foreign derived intangible income. And it created this 37% deduction on income that are derived from exports based on your intangible property if you held it inside the United States. So it was an incentive to keep your intellectual property in the United States and then use that intellectual property to sell abroad. And that's what the TCJA did. So it had this minimum tax in guilty. It had this incentive deduction in the form of what's called FIDI, and it lowered in and it lowered rates. It had a very, you know, lowered rates from to 21% domestically. And then in, internationally, as I mentioned, that guilty rate's only 10 and a half percent. It was created a much less of a tax burden on corporations in the United States with the idea that it would spur the economy. Biden administration comes in and says, doesn't like FIDI at all. The the proposal is to get rid of FIDI in its entirety for a couple of reasons. FIDI is, the the criticism that's levied against FIDI is it incentivizes corporations in the United States to actually situate their operations offshore. So if you situate your intangible assets offshore, then the deduction kicks in at a much lower level. And so that increases the deduction. The Biden administration says FIDI has this perverse incentive of incentivizing U.S. companies to actually situate plants and facilities, not in the United States, but in other countries. And so that's a bad thing. And we want to get rid of that. It also says that guilty, 
it basically is keeping the basic concept of guilty, which is this minimum tax on intangible property. But it wants to raise the rates a lot, get it up to 21% as opposed to 10 and a half. And guilty also has this, because it's only designed to tax intangible property, it doesn't, it's got this provision that excludes an amount intended to reflect profits from tangible property. Guilty only kicks in at income in excess, a 10% return on all your intangible assets abroad. That is a pretty significant exclusion from the tax that, that guilty would otherwise impose. And so one of the things that the Biden administration is saying is, look, we don't let our domestic, we don't let U.S. taxpayers exclude 10% return on their investments. Why should we let you know, multinational corporations do that? And so the Biden administration wants to reform guilty by taking away some of these more generous aspects to, to lower the international tax rates that U.S. companies are paying. And my final question, I know you're not a political scientist, but overall, scale of one to 10 being one nothing, 10 everything, how much of this do you think we will see made into law? I don't think anybody knows really for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I could definitely say nobody knows for sure, right? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but it's really hard to, to handicap this race. And in part, it has to do with just the complexity of it. You've got the political complexity of, are you going to try to work with Republicans from the Biden administration's perspective, or are you going to try to get it through just on a Democratic vote through reconciliation? As I mentioned, there's this international overlay of 139 different countries trying to work together to solve some of these problems. What we do domestically is informed by and is interacting with what's going on in an international level. And whether we're able to succeed, the Biden administration, for example, wants to have, wants to put, as I mentioned, guilty, make that tax at the international level be 21%. The international, this OECD effort, internationally is thinking about a very similar type of tax, but they've been talking about a tax at about 10 to 15%. And the Biden administration's ability to convince our own political system to go along with the 21% is in large part going to be tied to whether the Biden administration can convince the rest of the countries in the world to go along with the 21%. Because if we're the only one who's got a 21% tax on international intangible income, then our companies are at a distinct disadvantage to everybody else in the world. And that's not palatable to anybody. So all these things are all these things are kind of interacting. I do think that there's there's just a tremendous amount of motivation and urgency to to do something and to do something significant. So I do think that we're going to see some pretty significant changes, although I think it's going to be very difficult. I mean, I don't think that I think that the Biden administration is going to have to move off a lot of its it's going to have to be very flexible as to what that exactly looks like. Right now, I just think that there's a tremendous amount of think about the, the things that were part of the campaign, income inequality, investing in our nation's infrastructure and the low and middle class, making sure that companies and the wealthy are 
paying their fair share, which is we're basically saying the tax system is not progressive enough, making the tax system more progressive. These are all things that that were. And the other thing that's really important is Biden said not going to raise rates on anybody making less than four hundred thousand dollars. So that's really hard to do in the first place. And the ways that you do it is you, again, taxes on the wealthy, people making well in excess of 400,000 and the corporate tax, which mostly, you know, there's a debate about this, but there's an argument that that mostly falls on investors and corporations which tend to be wealthy people. Certainly it's gonna be in those two areas that the Biden administration is focused on if it wants to do these big things. I think the Biden administration thinks they have a mandate, and I think that there's a pretty broad recognition that we do need to address income inequality, and the tax code is going to be part of that. And the question is whether the administration can bring enough of these interests along to both domestically and internationally to make it work. I do think that they can, and I I certainly put their chances at at least, even though I do think there are going to be a lot of changes based on what they proposed. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.